0: Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, we just want to welcome you to the Kelly family and let you know that we exist to help you and your leadership grow. So if you know of someone who has, would make an awesome guest for our show, maybe you're wrestling with the leadership topic that you're trying to grow in, or you just would love to hear from some of our faculty about some research or some new trends that are happening uh, within various industries, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to roipod. That's roipod at iepui.edu. Well, as of this recording, we are six months into this pandemic, where majority of America and a lot of America and even the world is been has been working from home, working remotely, uh, just kind of in this virtual space, virtual workforce, um, and it's becoming to cause a lot of stress in ways that maybe we've not have seen before. You know, there's burnout across the board from Zoom meetings and virtual meetings. And, you know, the, the separation of how do you turn off, you know, work life while you're at home when your work is at home. I mean, there's so many things that are starting to pull at, at us. I mean, for me personally, working from home, it's hard for me sometimes to, once five o'clock hits to shut it down because I'm just conveniently at home and I don't have that commute or that physical separation that brings my mental separation from work and from, from my home life. So we are going to talk about some of these stressors. We're going to talk about some transitioning, you know, what is happening and how do we overcome as a leader? How do we take this opportunity to grow, to use these stressors, to use these difficulties as opportunities for personal growth? Again, we are joined by Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, the co-directors of the Kelly MBA Leadership Academy, who are awesome experts within the realm of leadership. Guys, welcome back to the ROI podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having us, Matt. It's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. And uh, the, your intro is great. We're, we're, we're loving the evolution of the ROI podcast. You are you are sounding like an official podcast host, and we're, we're excited to be here.
0: Oh, man. Well, it's, it's an honor to have you guys. And I want to kind of start out, you know, like we were talking about, you know, six months here we are into this pandemic. Talk about, let, let's start out, let, let's identify some of these stressors. I mean, because obviously this is something that we've never done in such a global scale where so much of the workforce has just abruptly picked up out of the physical office, gone remote. And then just said, okay, you need to function, you know, so obviously we, you know, where there's a lot of time now where we're seeing some of the, some of the pros that are coming out of it, but also some of the cons and stressors. So let's talk about you just personally, you know, what are you guys noting as leadership experts in, in, in ways that we're going to start reflecting back and hopefully make improvements in the future?
2: Sure. I think, um, Matt, I, I know I experienced two of the larger stressors on a regular basis that will affect leaders of all shapes and sizes and that is just the need to have endurance for very long periods of time. And Ray is an expert in endurance and resilience. So I'm gonna love hearing him talk about this, but uh, but it's endurance and then it's uncertainty. And I think there was a great article that came out just a couple of weeks ago in the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal. They talked about how the average person working today, you know, in a white collar type job is putting in about 25% more hours than a typical, than they would have at this same time last year when this wasn't going on. And you hit on one of the big reasons, Matt, and that is there's no boundary between work and home when work is home and home is work. And so I know I personally experienced that where my computer is open, it's in sight most of the day. Um, In addition to the phone, which I always carry around now, I just feel like, oh, it's just one email or it's just you know, and, um, and so I'm just, I'm not getting away from work. Um, it's unending in, and, and that requires an unbelievable amount of endurance. And whether you're talking about a marathon or swimming across the English channel, I mean, pick your metaphor. By the time a long endurance event is over, people are sore and they're tired and they're exhausted. And we're just experiencing that over and over and over. And then, I think, generally speaking, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I think generally, um, I'm I tend to be better than most when dealing with uncertainty. But not <laughs> this long and affecting this many different decisions, and to just absolutely have no idea, you know, how many customers am I going to be serving, and where are they going to be located, and what are those needs going to be? And of course, I run a career center, and I've got you know, corporate recruiters who are saying, we don't know what kind of talent we need and we don't know when they're going to start and we don't know what the immigration policies are going to be. And so it's just layer and layer and layer of uncertainty. And we're sitting, I know I and my team and, you know, many leaders are sitting around going, like, what are we, like, what are we trying to do here? Like, what's within our control? What's without of our control? And, and that just, it's just, it's exhausting and it's stressful. And I think, of course, one of the things we're going to get into here is that that draws out the best and the worst of all of us um, when we're dealing with those kinds of situations. And I know that's certainly true for me. So... Um, Ray, I, I know you experience a lot of the same right now from a different yeah, lens. But.
1: Yeah, well, I, and I think, but I think you've 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 classified it really well. And if I, if I was thinking while you were talking, the the stressors in in three buckets that you experience. One is the individual stressor, right? So I can I can redesign my Zoom office as sweet as I'd like to make it, but the Zoom office is in between my living space and my bedroom, so I walk by it, and to that point that Eric made work never goes away because it's always just one more email and it's very convenient and so those boundaries blurring have added a lot of stress i I don't think i've had a day off literally since march when we all kind of went into quarantine either designing classes or teaching or you know coaching or doing the other types of work that we do it really has felt like one long thing and that's added to a lot of individual stress on top of that there is the organizational sense making that goes on so whatever organization that we belong to there's stress because the organization now has to figure out how to work in new ways and i think in a lot of ways i've been inspired by what some organizations have done right we can work in different ways and while we made a bunch of assumptions before that really honestly were assumptions like when when it really came down to it there were certain things that we could do differently that we've never been either forced to or or had to deal with before. And getting forced into those situations has really opened up some new learning opportunities to how organizations operate. And that can be inspiring, but it could also be exhausting because there, there's there's the lack of boundaries on an organizational basis as well. And then finally, the general uncertainty, whether it's uncertainty about the pandemic, or if you're a parent, what the school year is going to be, or if you're you know, a worker in an industry that's affected hugely by the pandemic, what's my employment situation going to be? And that uncertainty that's really just adding to the tension everyone's feeling. So I've personally felt tension on all those. I feel very lucky I haven't felt the same amount of tension that I know others have felt across all three of those, because some people are really suffering. Uh, But it has led to a lot of interesting, I would say, observational moments, if you're a leader, to notice yourself across all three of those domains. How is this individually impacting me? How is this impacting me as I show up with an organization of other people that I'm supposed to work with? And then how in general do we deal with this concept of uncertainty when it is so prevalent, right? It is not, you cannot avoid the uncertainty, no matter or where you're, where you're coming from these days.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, we were alluding to this a little bit, you were, Eric, is this this whole idea that the uncertainty and in this, in this inconsistency, you know, I think for a lot of organizations, especially those who may uh, not be in a leadership role or maybe they have higher levels Layers of leadership above them, there is a lot of inconsistencies that come down the pipeline. You know, one one manager might say this is how we're approaching. You know, the, here's the new protocol for being at home. While another one is saying, actually, no, this is more the protocol. And you know, there becomes a lot of communication breakdowns. There becomes a lot of inconsistencies in how we're supposed to approach certain avenues uh, from working from home. And it's hard because you can't just walk down to someone's office to ask for clarity. Now you're having having to, hey, can I book 10 minutes of your time in the day? You know, we're, st- we're we're becoming so micro-scheduled in our day-to-day with phone calls and Zoom meetings that it's no longer, I can walk down to your office real fast and just get a clarifier. I have to now, you know, build into some time. So let's let's talk about this idea of communication and then how it relates to what we were talking about earlier, the values of the organization, the undergirding values that we have to defend. Um, so where can the communication break down and how can that add stress within you know, organizations, especially virtually? Well,
2: I mean, you hit on one that I think is a related topic and that is organizations are having to choose right now how much empowerment they want to give to their various leaders. Um, You know, if you let individual line, like Ray and I are are essentially the same pay grade, for instance, right? And if an organization says, well, Ray, Eric, you guys kind of do whatever you want. Like we trust that you know your organization or you're part of the organization best, run it however you want to run it. Um, that's where you start to create inconsistencies, right? But that's also where you start to create some communication breakdowns. Because if I feel like, well, I've been empowered to run my shop my way and Ray's been empowered to run his shop his way. um, Then I'm not really talking to Ray. (laughs) I'm like, well, Ray's doing his thing and I don't need a lot of his input on my thing. So I'm just going to run my thing and I'm going to communicate with my team and we're going to communicate with our stakeholders and our customers and I'm gonna run it my way, and I'm gonna give periodic updates to my boss because you know, I have to, um, but I'm not really asking for permission because I've been told, do, do what you need to do. And the unfortunate part of that is then the communication breaks down, right? There's no opportunity to share best practices, and worse, some of my customers are raised customers, and if I'm doing things one way and he's doing things another way, it creates an inconsistent customer experience, both of which we can justify because I'm told, why well, I do I know my business best? This is what's right for me. And Ray's like, well, I know my business best. and This is what's right for me. And at the end of the day, you know, in our case, our students um, would say, well, but what's about, what about what's best for us? We're like, well, trust us. We know what's best for you. Right. Which, you know, we do and we don't. So, so that's where you get, I mean, there's, there's, it's just this sense of, well, I don't really have to communicate that much because that's not my job. Right. So um, I think that would be one take on that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Just building off of that, I think what it show, what what the situation is is demonstrating is the power and the norm setting of the informal network that exists within most organizations. And when you don't have the ability to have the hallway conversations, the office meetings, the quick lunch breaks, the let's go to coffee and sort this out, because everything has to be a Zoom meeting or everything has to be a phone call or everything has to be an email, right? The the the, that kind of organizational smoothing, if you will, that normally happens has become so it's come to the fore in a lot of organizations because we we might use the same language, hey, we'll all be on time with this, but the way people make sense of that language on time doesn't mean the same thing to every single person that has to deal with it. And so I think for for what it's worth, that exposing of that informal network is not helping the organization operate in a smooth manner as it normally would. The, there are a lot of leaders having to relearn, well, how do I get the power of what that used to be? I mean, I'm still delivering on my results, my KPIs, however I'm measured. I still want to get deliver on those. But how do I get the power of what used to be something there? So you know, just using an example, Eric and I could check each other on some of the assumptions we made and say, oh, this is how you're doing this. I see how somebody might be able to misinterpret that. We might not have that opportunity in these situations. And I think that leads to kind of a broader leadership conversation of, while there are so many awful things about the pandemic, one of the things that it's presenting as an opportunity for people to study in their leadership is you have a lot of observational moments that really are, are presenting themselves of How am I going to be intentional in leading through this challenge, right? And people, you know, if we assume that people are operating with, with good intentions, when I notice something that isn't happening as I quote unquote normally would expect, what does that mean I might need to understand about my own approach to the problem or how we're all making sense of this problem?
0: So one of the things I think is interesting is that this whole pandemic has kind of showcased uh, the importance of, you know, really having strong values built into your organization, whether that be in your philosophy, in the way that you, you lead, in the way that you're making decisions from, because it's from those values then people can, you know, start, start understanding and knowing the direction, even if some of the communication is unclear, if you get to the heart of those values. And Ray, that's something you were bringing up even before we were talking was the idea of how important having organizational values are, especially during this time of disruption from what we perceive as, as a normal way of doing business. So talk more about the values of an organization and why it's so important to, to make sure that they're strong and clear.
1: Yeah, I think it, values is a really interesting question for me. And um, one of the pieces of, of work that informs my my thoughts on values is comes from Kuzis and Posner, a couple of leadership experts who wrote the Leadership Challenge. And and what they found is when you look at values and values clarity, like how clear am I on the core values that are important to me? Um, they found that when you look at it versus commitment to an organization, The commitment of those who are extremely clear on their individual values, like on a personal level, is way higher than if I only know the organizational values. The commitment's the highest when I know both, right? I know what the organization stands for, I know what I stood for, therefore I'm very committed. But the next highest group, and it's just below the one I just mentioned, is those who are extremely clear on their personal values but might not know their organizational values. So one of the things I would suggest for organizational leaders, especially in this time of uncertainty at an individual level level is if you really want to think about values, how can you help and assist your folks to really get clear on their values first, especially in this scenario, right? What are the four, five, six most important values that might be really driving them? And values just inform our thoughts and our actions, right? They help our sense-making process. Like when I have a values violation, I tend to get really offended at something. When I feel a values rewarded, I feel connected to something, I I think one of the worst things right now is an organization just going off and making up aspirational values that might have nothing to do with what's going on today that are just kind of hollow because people see those for what they are. And so I am a bigger fan for organizations kind of building up. How do you get individuals to understand their values how do you ask people what they think the values of the organization are? Kind of get a, get a sense behaviorally today, what does the organization value? And be very honest. Oftentimes when people mention values, they think only in the positive. There are some things like we might have some values that are just not consistent with what we want to be. So how might we correct for those? But those values are really a foundational aspect of individual leadership, collective leadership, how the organization shows up, because those values are going to be important to to recognize and stay conscious of as we're, we're dealing with these tough situations.
2: I love what you're saying about values. And I think one of the things that's often underappreciated and is also now being exposed is this idea of organizational processes. Um, Ray used the term earlier about company norms. And I think those are also being exposed right now. Um, I had a former supervisor of mine who worked at Eli Lilly. Her name was Anne-Marie and she had a sheet that she used to hand out to every new employee on her team. And the top of it was exactly what Ray said. There were her values. She called them her principles, but that's what her values were. Like, this is what I stand for, the eight or 10 things. But then underneath it were her organizational processes. Like, this is how we do business. This is how a decision gets made. This is, you know, I have an expectation that every day at 9.05, we're going to do a 10 minute standup and we're going to touch base. My expectation is that everybody makes it to a team meeting once a week. And if you can't be there in person, you call in, even if you're traveling for business. My expectation is, that on Friday you provide me with a quick list of the things that aren't done for the week that need, like, and not a micromanagement sense, but just like, this is how I run my business. This is how I want you to run your business. This is how we talk to each other. This is how we keep each other informed. well uh, You know, I give each of you a budget. If you are spending something that is part of your approved budget, you don't need my approval. If you're spending above your budget, you need my approval like. Things like that. There were processes. It was like, this is the way, the how, right? Her principles or values, what Ray is talking about is like the, you know, like who am I as a leader? Who am I as an individual? Why are these things important to me? And the processes are like the how. And I feel like for a lot of us, as we've transitioned out and the farther we get away from what used to be normal the more I think people have no idea, like, what are our standard organizational processes and how do they work with our values and how are they informed by our values? And, um, and, and, and are we paying any attention to how each other's organizational processes are conscious and unconscious and then in complement or in contrast with each other? And it's creating just, in a lot of cases, confusion and just it's just sort of, it's messy. Mm-hmm. And that adds layers of stress and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I, everything, I love everything Ray said. And then, you know, this idea of organizational processes is, I think a really good one to ask ourselves, like as leaders, am I conscious about what mine are? Am I conscious about how I'm communicating those to my team and my stakeholders? And Am I conscious about how they fit with the rest of my organization or not?
0: And I think that segues beautifully to this idea of what we teed off the episode with is, okay, there's just going to be this transitional period where, you know, whether we decide uh, an organization takes a final stand and says, we are deciding that we're going to move back to the office, or we're deciding that we're going to stay remotely, or we decide that we're going to do, you know, some variation of the two. Uh, And I think that's an amazing example, because research says, what, 21 days it takes to create a new habit. Well, here we've been creating our own workflow processes at home, you know, doing, we get a task. So now it's up to every individual now to decide how they get it done. And now they're going to expect to bring it back and then try to morph everyone back into Nope, we are got to go back to what we used to. I mean, that's going to create a lot of inconsistencies. You know, so how do we begin thinking as an organizational leader about transitioning, whether it be making the decision to you know, come back or making the decision to you know, stay home or anything in between? And Ray, I'd love to tee it off with you first.
1: I love this question. And I think this is a difficult question. So I'll start my thought by saying, I don't know if there's a clear answer. Um, I do draw inspiration from an old self-help book that I particularly like called Transitions by William Bridges. And I think the Transitions book, is a, it's a classic, it's 25 years old, 30 years old, maybe. And he, he has a simple model of transitions. But what I've found in my own coaching work, put the pandemic aside, people undervalue the cost of transitions for themselves all the time, transitioning jobs, transitioning life stages, transitioning whatever. And they just kind of assume it's like a light switch and it's on or off. And I think Bridges' model really forces you to consider no transitions are an experience that have a cost and there's an emotional way that we work through those and i love the first question in his model which he asked people to consider which is what ends and i think that what ends question is important especially with the uncertainty that we've been talking about because right now no one there is so much uncertainty about the future no one's really willing to commit to like this ends or this ends, or this is to to what Eric was just talking about. This is the norm. Everything just keeps having this perpetual life and that adds to the uncertainty. And so within those transitions, even when the, the boundaries are somewhat permeable and gray, I think it's important for leaders to kind of put some stakes in the ground, especially if they're dealing with an organization and say, hey, I know we've been working like this, we are moving back to in-person, or we're going to go into a hybrid, or we're going to do this. And as a result, based upon what we've learned over the course of the past six months, this way of working might end, and this is going to be our new way of working. Even if it's a bit uncertain, helping people move into a transition, recognize that change is about to happen again is, is pretty important. Because when we just assume that everyone's going to know what ends, then there's a lot of bad things happen. And, and individually, I think that's important as well. Like, what is it that ends going into the office and going out to lunch with Eric is no longer an option for me right now. So that ended, even if I go back to the next phase, that's not going to restart, at least not right now right? And so the, so what is, what is that? That's a micro example, but there are all sorts of macro examples that we could go to and then allowing ourselves to kind of understand and figure out how do we individually and collectively make sense of that phase. So that's one of my favorite transition tee-ups. And I know Eric's got some thoughts here as well.
2: Well, I love that. And what I'll add is that I think, you know, Matt, part of your, your question involved the word decision, right? Like how do we decide? And I think that one of the things I've, would challenge leaders to do is actually make a decision. I think part of what we're doing right now is we watch, you know, we read the newspapers and watch the news. And, you know, how frequently is it that we see a leader say, well, we're going to take another week and we're going to see what happens. We're going to take another week. And we're, and we're just, you know, the metaphor of just kicking the can down the road. And and the bottom line is any decision you make right now is going to upset some people. And almost every decision has a possible drawback and yes there are situations where you may have to make a decision and then two weeks later you may have to make a different decision and undo the one that you did and, and that's that's true but not actually making a decision has an enormous amount of cost too because that creates uncertainty and that creates stress and that makes it difficult to, to just run your business right and for your people to find meaning and make sense and so you know I, I'm I'm you know, I don't want to question individuals, but I think the hybrid is an example of like, are you really making a decision if you say, well, we're going to do some things in person and some things online and we're kind of going to let everybody decide what's best for themselves. It's like, well, that's not a decision, you know, and I think this to say, hey, we're all going to be remote or, hey, we're going to be in person. And we're going to do the best that we can. And then we're going to revisit our safety metrics on a regular basis. And if this doesn't work, we'll go back. Like making a commitment provides people direction. It says, you know, hey, we're going to be in person, Ray. That means you need to figure out. You're going to have XYZ classrooms. You're going to have XYZ capabilities. You're going to have these people who aren't there. You're going to have to accommodate. Go. And he's like, okay, now I know my constraints, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But say, Ray, figure it out for yourself. It's not like... There's no decision. So, so what I love about the transition, I love the question, well, what comes to an end? Um, and all of that actually exists in an ecosystem where somebody says, this is what we are going to do. This is the decision. Now answer the question, what ends, what begins, how, who, when, where, let's do it. Right. And, and I'm willing to be wrong and I'm willing for this to fail, but based on all the information that we have and the input of all the stakeholders, this is going to be my call. It's the burden of a leader, but I'm going to make it and we're going to move forward. And if we have to pivot, so we pivot and I'll be clear about when and why that needs to take place.
0: And it sounds like it points to like what you were saying, that there's good values and there are bad values and you have to address them so that you can either correct to correct them so you can bring in good values or you can enforce them like they're good. And I think what what it sounds like, you know, and, and this is a common thing, there's this value of undecisiveness in a leader, be, whether it be based out of fear of public opinion, but it based on fear of, you know, upsetting or causing quarrels. So how do we find the middle ground to keep the peace on both sides, which then creates the uncertainty, you know, there's the give and the take, you know, so it sounds like the, the question I would pose is, for organizational leaders who are struggling to get into the actual decision-making and seeming, quote-unquote, unpopular or, or ruiner of the party because now everyone's got to come into work or, you know, people that want to come into work, they got to stay home, you know, what wherever they may feel, how does an organizational leader separate that emotional Harsh portion, or maybe not even separate, but overcome the emotional draw into perception of others, so that they can make a decision that's based on values. That is, you know, the correct decision given the information they have um, through their perspective. The correct decision to make for their organization. Obviously, there's no one decision is the right, one decision is the wrong. I think the key takeaway is that. The des- making a decision is really what matters to kind of solidify for your team where we go.
2: What I'm noticing with a lot of leaders, and this is true, not just in a pandemic, but when we're at, when we're facing a decision, it seems like, well, there's option A and there's option B and just taking today it's, well, do we go all back in person or do we do everything remote? And that could be corporate or airlines, transportation, higher ed, doesn't matter, right? Are we, are we all, are we there physically or not? And, and the, the questions people are asking, well, what's the cost of being there and what's the cost of staying remote? What nobody's asking is what's the cost of doing nothing? right And I think that that's, that's one of the most powerful coaching questions out there. And Ray and I have been through the certification where right? we're both executive coaches. Um, And that's one of my favorite questions to ask a leader is what's the cost of doing nothing. And, and that needs to be factored in, especially in an, in a complex, chaotic environment, right? Is what's the cost of not doing anything. And in today's environment, there are emotional tolls on a team on emotional tax on your customers. It's um, it's, it can create other forms of inefficiency and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna look at your options it's option a it's option B and the option to not do anything and then evaluating how you feel across all of those I think the other thing is I don't think you can separate emotion from this particular decision and I think part of the burden of leadership is having to accept my decision isn't going to be popular with everybody and in fact, I might actually feel like the right thing to do is unpopular for the majority, but if I'm going to be an effective leader, I have to be okay with criticism, I have to be okay with doing the unpopular thing, and if I'm not, then I need to find a coach or whatever appropriate professional to help me get comfortable with that. And one of the ways to overcome that, I think, Is to at least make sure that all of your stakeholders are being heard, that they feel like they had an opportunity to weigh in. And as a leader that you are transparent to a point, Um, you don't always have to share everything, but that you share, look, I heard you all, I weighed things in, this is what I'm going to do, this is why I'm going to do it. Um, and let's move forward. You know, one of the big uh, models that Ray and I teach is five dysfunctions of a team. And one of the things that creates lack of buy-in is lack of transparency, right? Lack of an ability to weigh in. And so I at least think when employees or customers, whatever, feel like they're heard and you go back and explain to them, I took your input into consideration and arrived at the following conclusion, which may or may not be popular, but here are the reasons, then at least folks feel like you're you're being transparent, right? And that's that's at least some level of trust that you can maintain there. Um again, you have to deal with that. It may not be popular, but at least you've done, I think, all you can as a leader. Uh, Ray, I don't know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I I would build on that just by saying, I think that decision-making is an interesting science and there are people way smarter than me that have studied it, right? And there are all sorts of biases, which we know about and have been talked about, anchoring bias, recency bias, escalation of commitment bias, you can study those. And oftentimes those biases are fueled and formed by emotion. And so when you, when you think about those biases and how they impact decisions and we're all susceptible to them, right? What, what is the way that you can try to quote unquote, overcome them, even though that's almost impossible to do at all times, the way to try to overcome them is to be consciously aware and notice when they're occurring. So notice when I'm in an anchoring bias, notice when I'm in a recency or escalation of commitment or whatever type of bias that happens to be. There's a huge, huge list of these biases. I think on an emotional level, Oftentimes leaders, what I've seen, I know Eric's seen as well, is people try to tamp out the emotion. If I just ignore it or I go, I push it down or I, I push it away, then I'm not going to be susceptible to it. And that's not exactly the healthiest or most productive way to deal with it because it tends to show up in really bad places then. right? And so if we look at emotions as a signal and start to notice it, Susan David has a great book called Emotional Agility, We sometimes feel this guilt for feeling bad emotions and she calls it the tyranny of the positive, like we should only be happy or whatever. If we reestablish our relationship with some of the emotional experiences we're having and notice those and deal with them in real time, right? I, I am frustrated by this decision. I am angry and I've got to deal with that emotion as I also make this decision. Might I be susceptible to any kind of biases or anything like that? That could at least try to help The clarity of the decision you're facing. It is recognizing that, yeah, I have to make a decision and two, I might be susceptible to these biases or emotions that are going to show up. They're they're signals and they're thinking to, and they can help you process and think through. And at the end of the day, you might need to make a decision that is unpopular or not, that is not completely clean, et cetera. And then how do you as a leader manage that in a productive way? Do you just make the decision and say, that's it, we're not going to discuss it? Or do you enter into a phase where you say, yeah, I'm making this decision, but I'm also going to be a learning organization. And this is how we're going to learn through this if we face an extreme part of uncertainty. One of the things I always find fascinating is the highest performing teams practice Ninety-nine percent of the time, you look at a pro athletic team, or the U.S. women's soccer team, or the cast of Hamilton, or a symphony orchestra. They're practicing to perform. Most organizations don't have that opportunity. They're performing all the time. So, how do you get those benefits of practice, which is comes from reflection, observation, and 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 really kind of considering your own processes as you're making decisions? Because not every decision is going to be right. You you you. I, I heard a quote the other day on a podcast. I loved it. it. It said, you know, they were talking, they said, fallibility is not a flaw. It's a fact. And I think that's absolutely true. So many leaders say, well, if I'm fallible, it's a flaw. No, it's just a fact. You will be wrong. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do you deal with being wrong as you're making this decision? And how might you notice things like emotions and biases and other things that might be impacting those decisions along the way?
0: Again, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, the co-directors of the Kelly NBA Leadership Academy and Executive Coaches. Such an honor to have you guys on. Uh, you know, we love having you guys here on the podcast. Thanks again for for jumping on and sharing some of your wisdom. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.